There you go. Chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 1 through 14. Uh, Matthew, you almost there? Almost there. It's all highlighted for you, huh? Oh, I think you passed it. Oh, you didn't pass it? You're good? What are you? First? Corinthians? All right, please rise as we read God's word. Verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, through the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, for forgiveness of our trespass, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him, who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Wow, you guys did great. Huh? That was long, but you guys did great. You know, in the, in the Greek... Verse uh, 3 to 14 is one long sentence. It's kind of Paul going off on a tangent. He, he just kind of thinks about these things. And in the beginning of his letter, he just explodes and prays. And I hope as we go through Ephesians that that may be true of, true of us. As we think about God, His goodness, what He has done for us, His glory, who He is. That we too will become like Paul where our sentences of praise just run on and on and on. And we can't contain ourselves. But anyway, that's not part of the sermon. Um, let me pray for us. Let's ask for God's guidance as we start and begin this new study. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited. Right? It's a great book. Uh, there's so much stuff in it, but we need His help, definitely. So let's pray. Father, we come again to sit at Your feet. Trusting, believing that Your Word is life. That your word has the power to change our hearts, our minds. That your word, though it may just be ink, a white page, has the power to draw us closer to you. That your word has the power to open up our eyes to see your glory. So I pray now, Father, that whatever may hinder us from seeing your word clearly, that you will be so gracious as to remove that we, whether we're really young or older, may all 
be able to understand and grasp your truth. Father, would you bless us as we enter into this new study of Ephesians. Help it to be a refreshing time, a nourishing time, a time where we can be blown away by the truths contained within. So we ask for your, again, kindness and grace. In Christ's name we pray. So this is for you guys, all right? Younger ones, listen up. So let's say you were to see a homeless person on the street. And every day he's begging for money, he's begging for food, he's begging for all these things. He has dirty clothes on. He, he, you could tell he hasn't eaten for a long time. He's not shaven at all. But one day, as you see him walking away, you kind of catch a glimpse of his back. Right? And on his back is taped, something is taped to his back. So you kind of follow closer and you, you draw closer and closer to him. And you look at it and it's a check for a million dollars. Just taped to his back. Made out to him. All he has to do is cash it. Now, how foolish do you think that man is? Pretty foolish, right? Well, according to today's text, God tells us that we have all already been given, blessed with every spiritual blessing. You think a million dollars is a lot, taped to your backs is God's forgiveness, His unending love. Yet we walk around like spiritual homeless people sometimes, don't we? So the point of today's message is this. Know that God has already given you all that you need. All you need to do is ask Him to grow in your understanding of what you have already been given. And hopefully that in turn will help you to live powerful, meaningful, purposeful Christian lives even at your age. Got it? Good? No? Tim, that was not good? Yeah? All right. Now let's get into the message. So again, today we are going to set sail into the deep blue ocean that is the book of Ephesians. This trip, however long it may take, and it may take a while, will be a journey full of life-changing truths. I truly believe that. It is going to take us into the depths of the eternal mind of God, of His plans, of His purpose, of His unspeakable love for us, we will be inundated with treasures of His infinite grace and come upon wave after wave of insight into our glorious Father's heart. This trip will introduce us to the riches of our salvation in Christ Jesus and will usher us into a greater, deeper, more intimate knowledge of the gospel. On the other side of this trip will be a new you, God willing. You will emerge more purposeful, more purposeful, more joyful, more God-centered and entrenched in your thought life, more gospel-centered in your outlook, more worshipful in every aspect of your life. And God willing, the truths held within the six chapters of this book will open up to you and make a deep and lasting impression upon your mind and your heart, impacting you to the depths of your soul, giving you a divine foretaste of eternity, 
laid before you and equipping you to live a most meaningful, powerful, joyful, and eternally significant life. If you only truly knew the contents of this book, you would know that this is no exaggeration. Any failure for this study to do all this is not due to any inherent failure of the book, but the failure in me to present it clearly and with due passion, and also the failure on your part to open up your mind and your heart to receive. So again, throughout the study, Saturday nights, Monday morning, pray that God will really impress the truths of this book upon your heart and your minds, that it will make an impact on your life. Because I truly believe contained within this book are God-inspired truths that can literally blow our minds away, that can change our perspective forever, and hopefully will prepare us to live a really meaningful and purposeful, joyful life. So pray Saturday nights. Pray Monday mornings. Pray Sunday mornings. That God will open it up to you. That He'll let you receive it. Yeah, will you join with me in praying for that? I'll pray that I'll preach it correctly, clearly, with due passion. You pray that you'll receive it clearly, with due passion. So that's my intro to Ephesians. Yeah, a little cliffhanger there, a little hook. Did I hook you guys in yet? Anyways, if it didn't, then I'm sure the content will. You must surely agree with me when I observe that there is a certain haziness, a murkiness, a cloudiness in the lives of Christians. We struggle to live a life as peaceful, as joyful, as purposeful as the Bible describes that we Christians should live. Of all people, we Christians should have the clearest perspective on the fundamentals of life, such as its meaning, its purpose. Yet, sometimes we are as unsure as the rest of the world. We Christians should have the most peace, yet we struggle as much, if not more, in this never-ending search for inner peace prescribed or inner peace that the rest of the world is seeking after. We Christians should be experiencing an indescribable joy as prescribed in the Word of God, yet we are no less depressed, no less discontent, and no less unfulfilled as the rest of the world. We are no less prone to chase after the same things as the rest of the world. We are as devoted, if not more, to the pursuit of career, money, and comfort as the rest of the world. We are as susceptible to the devastating effect of loss in this life as the rest of the world. When the scripture clearly tells us that we are to have a very loose grip upon the things of this world, that if we lose it, it shouldn't impact us as much. Let me make this more personal. Let me ask you, do you have a clear sense of your identity? Or are you still struggling to, quote-unquote, find yourself? Do you know who you are? 
Do you have a clear sense of inner peace? Or are you among the millions who are still in search of it? Do you have a clear sense of purpose for your life? Or are you as clueless and aimless as the rest of the world? Do you have a clear sense of joy in your life? Or are you prone to depression? Do you have a clear sense of fulfillment? Or are you as unfulfilled as the millions who throw their lives away in search of the next greatest thrill? Answer that. Do you know who you are? Do you know your purpose? Are you joyful? Do you have inner peace? I think the haziness, the murkiness, and cloudiness is due to our failure to truly understand what has already happened to us. What has already been given to us, what has already been done for us. You see, we live as if we're still waiting for our purpose. We live as if we're still waiting to be accepted, waiting to be fulfilled, waiting to be forgiven, waiting for treasures, waiting for peace, waiting for salvation. What Paul shares with us in the beginning of this letter is what I like to call the wonderful past tense. I'm not very creative. The best thing I could come up with. It's the wonderful past tense. God has already blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God has already blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. This means that we have been and are currently right now in possession of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You have it. You currently possess it. Yet we live as if we are paupers, beggars, striving with every ounce of our being, expending extraneous effort for riches when we're already kings and queens when we are already rich beyond measure. The failure to have a clear purpose, the failure to feel like your life is still waiting to kind of launch, I believe it's because we don't know what we already have, what God has already given us. And I think it handicaps us, it kind of constrains us It imprisons us. Listen to some of the wonderful past tense contained in this book. Just with verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints. Now, is this written just to the holy saints? No, thank you. Wasn't this written to all the Christians in Ephesus? Yet Paul refers to them as what? Saints. You guys know what saints means? Literally, it means the holy ones. Ones who are set apart. You see, the Roman Catholic Church has this tradition. uh, They're obsessed with giving martyrs and people of extraordinary faith sainthood, right? If you lived an immaculate life and a wonderful, impactful Catholic life, then maybe after you die they'll recognize you as a saint. It's something you need to achieve. It's something you need to earn. Yet here, Paul makes it clear 
You are already saints. You are already holy ones. Ones who are set apart already. You look at yourself, I look at myself. The name is not very becoming. I admit. But in God's sight, you are His holy ones. Because you are so intimately connected with who Christ is, that when God sees you, He sees the righteousness of Christ. You are already saints. You are already set apart by God. Yet we still struggle with who we are. What our identity is. That's just the first verse, right? He continues to go on to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God. Grace. You guys know what that word is, right? Let me give you a definition. Grace grace is undeserved favor, undeserved kindness poured upon us. For Paul to say grace and peace to you, yeah, it's a common Christian greeting. But it's so full of Christian truth. You and I have already experienced the undeserved favor of God upon our lives. Peace, it comes from the Hebrew word. They just kind of kind of adopted it straight up. It means what the, what the Jews would tell each other, shalom. Right? It means peace. When we say peace, you know, it's more like peace out or I'm out, I'm gone. But when they used to say peace, it was kind of saying... If I were to say, Eric, peace to you, it means, Eric, I wish you the completeness of your spirituality. I I wish you complete oneness, complete inner peace, complete spiritual union with God. It's like your whole being, I offer you peace, or I desire that for you. In light of what Christ has done, you and I have been given peace. You see, in Christ, there is no more war between you and God. There is no more enmity. You are recipients of His peace already. Yet we struggle so much to gain this inner peace, this completeness of our being. We already have it. Verse 4. I'm going to read you some more wonderful past tense. Even as He chose us. It's a past that has been done already. He has already chosen us. Verse 4 through 5. In love He predestined us. He's already predestined us. Verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us. His grace has already been lavished upon us. His forgiveness has already been given to us. And you have already been redeemed. In Him we have, verse 11, in Him we have obtained inheritance. You have already obtained it. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You already have the Holy Spirit. Yet there are so many, even Christians, who are seeking for the Holy Spirit. You have it. You have Him dwelling within you. This is my favorite in chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. I'm just going to read it. I'm going to highlight the past tenses, okay? 
And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Please take time to read over that and read over how many things have already been done for you. You've already been forgiven. You've already been loved. As far as God is concerned, you have already been seated at the right hand. Well, not the right hand. You've already seated at the throne with, with Jesus. Before we go any further... We must recognize that all blessings that God gives us has already been bestowed upon us, but not by some arbitrary means, but it is specifically through Christ and in Christ that these blessings are bestowed upon us. The phrase in Christ together with this variance in whom, in him, occurs 11 times in this paragraph. It is in Christ that God has chosen us for eternity. The Father has bestowed His grace upon us in the Beloved, so that we now have redemption and forgiveness of sins in Him. This constantly repeated formula has an essential function in Paul's outburst of praise. Those two words, in Christ, it's the essence of Christianity. You are forgiven in Christ. You have been given blessings in Christ. It at once highlights the unity we have with Christ the moment you believe. As far as God sees us, He sees you in Christ as one. Christ's righteousness is now yours. The love that God had, the eternal love that God had for Christ from eternity past, is now the same love that He has for you because you and I are what? In Christ. All blessings come in and through Christ. And again, you need to notice who the blessings come from. It's none other than God. Don't look anywhere else for blessings to come. Don't look anywhere else to receive any kind of inner peace, any kind of forgiveness, any kind of purpose in life. It is only God who freely gives us these things in Christ. 
Is that kind of clear? Is that okay? We're kind of getting to the technical parts of it. I think we get so wrapped up in asking for blessings from God. Right? We do that all the time. We ask for blessings from God. Every new year, we, we say, God bless you. You know, have a blessed new year. May your new year be full of blessings. Well, we get so caught up in asking for blessings that we forget what He has already given us. We forget that He has already given us everything. You see, the Christian life isn't so much about waiting for future blessings as it is growing in the knowledge, recognition, and realization of what we have already been given. You guys get that? The Christian life isn't so much about waiting for future blessings as it is in growing in the knowledge, the recognition, and the realization of what you and I have already been given. It's not like God's love for you grows each day. Listen up. It's not like God's love for you grows each day. God's love has already been fully lavished and dispensed upon us. It feels like His love for us grows daily, but in reality what's happening is that we are growing in our knowledge, our recognition, and our realization of the love He has already loved us with. Does that make sense? And you want to know a mind-boggling truth? His love for us is so infinite, so immeasurable, so great, so deep, so magnanimous, so unsearchable, so enormous, so every other superlative that the human language could come up with in all of its languages. That after a million years in heaven, his love for us will still feel like it's continuing to grow. Then after another billion years in heaven, we will still feel like his love for us is growing. It will be an eternity spent in the blissful, infinitely growing knowledge recognition and realization of the love that God has always had for us. That's the love with which He already loves us. That in a billion years, that in a quadrillion, I don't know what the biggest number is. You know, Tim, what's the biggest number? Huh? What? What's the biggest number? That's not a number. That's just like... Google, zero, I'm pretty sure, is not the biggest number. Googleplex? Okay, whatever biggest number you can come up with in your mind. The love of God for us currently, right now, is so rich, so big, so enormous. Just listen. Get be- sorry, get beyond that. All right? Don't think about the biggest number. His love for us right now, currently, already, is so great that after all those years in eternity... The next day will still feel like his love for you has increased. You have that love right now. He loves you like that right now. He has and he always will. 
what Paul is telling us today is that God's infinite love is already ours. His infinite forgiveness is already ours. His infinite acceptance is already ours. And that, my friend, my dear friends, is what it means for us already to be blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, some of you want to be teachers. A lot of you have experienced enough kids to know this truth. You ever notice the difference between a child who you know knows that they are loved by their parents as opposed to a child who feels that they aren't loved at home? Ever notice the difference between the two? One who is affirmed in their love by their parents they live a dramatically different life from the other. They're more able to, I don't know, socially they're better, right? Because they kind of feel like, I'm already loved, I don't have to, you know. Anyways, they're socially better, uh, they're academically better. Uh, the, the, literally, they have no ceiling in what they could accomplish because of this kind of assured confidence in their heart you know, it's not an arrogant confidence, but it's this kind of secure blanket over everything they do because they know that they're loved, because they know that they're supported. Yet the other child who hasn't experienced this at home, who hasn't the affirmation of him being accepted and loved, what's his life like? Socially, he's either very distant because he's so afraid, he doesn't trust people to open up to, or he's so self-centered because that's the way he feels fills his void of not being loved at home. So he's just not very good socially. Academically, there's something missing. He never raises his hand. He, he never asserts himself. He never has that confidence. Um, and even the way the two deal with adversity, deal with troubles, is different, isn't it? The one who has the assertion, uh, the affirmation that he's loved handles and deals with troubles a little bit differently than the one who doesn't, don't they? How about the, the will and the desire to, or the dare to do something different, to change the world per, per se? I would say most people who even dare to dream those dreams are people who are affirmed and assured that they are loved. Now look at your own Christian life, your own Christian walk. Are you the Christian who still wonders, does God love me? Does God really forgive me? And there's not that assurance. And it cripples your Christian life, does it not? As opposed to someone who understands God loves me. He has forgiven me. Yeah, I fail, but He has forgiven me in Christ Jesus. And if you're affirmed in that, if you're sure in that, guess what? It's a blanket for you to dare to do great things for God. For you to dare to, to live a life that is powerful, meaningful, joy-infused, assured, knowing that God loves you, God has forgiven you, 
God has already blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Several years ago, the LA Times reported the story of an elderly man and wife who were found dead in their apartment. Autopsies revealed that both had died of severe malnutrition. And guess what the investigators found in their closet? $40,000 in cash stored in paper bags. Yet they died of malnutrition. There's a lady named Hetty Green. And for many years, she was called America's greatest miser. You guys know what a miser is? It's a kinder, softer word for stingy, frugal. When she died in 1919, she left an estate valued at $100 million. That's a fortune today, right? $100 million in 1919 is, I don't don't even know the numbers, what it would be today. But she was so miserly, so frugal, that she ate cold oatmeal in order to save, no, sorry, that she ate cold oatmeal for breakfast to save water. No, no, okay. She kept the house cold to save herself the expense of, you know, heating stuff. And when her son had a severe leg injury, listen to this, she took so long trying to find a free clinic to treat him that he had to get his leg amputated. It has been said that she has hastened her own death by bringing a fit of stroke caused by brain hemorrhage while arguing the merits of skim milk because it was cheaper than whole milk. And we may laugh at those two stories. But the book of Ephesians is written to Christians who might be prone to treat their spiritual resources much like that couple and much like Hetty Green. Such believers are in danger of suffering from spiritual malnutrition because they do not take advantage of the great storehouse of spiritual nourishment and resources at their disposal. Ephesians has been given such titles as the believer's bank, the Christian's checkbook, and the treasure house of the Bible. This beautiful letter tells Christians of their great riches, inheritance, fullness in Christ Jesus and His church. It tells them what they possess and how they can claim and enjoy their possessions. During the Great Depression of the 1930s, many banks would allow their customers to withdraw no more than 10% of their accounts during a given period because the banks did not have enough reserves to cover all deposits. But listen, God's heavenly bank has no such limitations or restrictions. No Christian, therefore, has reason to be spiritually deprived, undernourished, or impoverished. In fact, he has no reason not to be completely healthy, immeasurably rich, in the things of God. The Lord's heavenly resources, what He has done in Christ Jesus, is more than adequate to cover all our debts, all our present liabilities, all our future needs. This is the marvel of God's gracious provision for His children. I sincerely desire for all of us, myself included, Live a purposeful, 
eternally significant, meaningful, joyful life here. Or if God were to ask me, how did you live? I would be able to say with a clear conscience, I lived it for your glory, the best of my ability. And I feel the thing that kind of hinders all of us from doing that sometimes, that we forget what He has already given us. He has blessed us with every, not just some, every spiritual blessing. Complete forgiveness is yours. Complete love is yours. Has already been given. I hope that helps all of us to live life that is more in tune and in line with that truth. Don't be the bum with the million dollar check on his back. That application is going to be very bad if that's all he remembers. But anyways, let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you so much for the promises contained within and the truths contained within. And Father, for some of us, it may be hard to grasp. It may not be settled into our hearts and minds as of yet. But I pray, Lord, would you do a work and help this to kind of intrude our thoughts to overcome and override all of our thoughts throughout this week that you have already blessed us Every spiritual blessings. This means that currently we are in possession of all your blessings. Your love, your forgiveness, your grace, and your peace is all ours already in Christ Jesus. May that empower us. May that humble us to worship you more fervently every day. Father, I pray that you may allow that truth to settle in. Christ, name we pray. Thank you.